in July of this year, I'm going to be celebrating the beginning of my 39th year of ministry. Can you believe that? Most of you are sitting back going, he is way too young to be in. Or is that what you were thinking? Randy. And in celebration of that anniversary, I want to let you in on a little secret. The last five years as pastor here at Prairie Bible have been the best five years of my career. That, that is the absolute unadulterated truth. And there, the reason for that, there's lots of reasons for that, not the least of which is that I've got to spend these last five years with, with you. Um, now, having said that, I don't, want to, I don't want to imply that the previous 33 years weren't good, because they were. There were some times that weren't good, obviously. But um, in those previous 33 years, I, I served a church that was probably 125 years old, and probably the newest of the bunch before this church was a church that was maybe 16, 17 years old when I, when I first started and then there was a smattering in between. Some of them were um, country churches, and some of them were city churches, some were suburban churches. Um, but you want to know something that I discovered during all this time? Every one of those churches had something in common with each other. And it was that every single one of them hated change. Every, they, even the ones that knew they needed to change and if they didn't change they may not be around a year from now they still resisted change and you want to know why? because it is the human condition to resist change now not everybody resists it some people like it some people even yearn for it but the vast majority of us resist the whole idea of change now I say that to you this morning because um, the, for those of you who are guests or visitors with us, today we are, are, all this year as a matter of fact, we are going to be looking at the parables of Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at one of the parables of Jesus that is all about change and how God would have us um, embrace the inevitability of it. Now that doesn't mean that everything needs to change. But some change is inevitable, and there are more effective and efficient ways to embrace that change. And the parable today actually talks about that. So I don't know if you guys want to talk about it or not, but we're going to, because change is a part of your life, whether you like it or not. And we're going to talk, Jesus is going to teach us how to embrace it in a way that is healthy and effective and efficient. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 9. If you're using the church Bibles... Um, that is on page 967, I believe. And as you're looking that up, let me give you just a little bit of context for uh, the parable that we're going to be looking at today. Here in chapter 9, Jesus is um, visited by um, some of the disciples of his cousin, John the Baptist. So they come together and, and they're visiting a little bit. And as they're visiting, um, the, the topic of fasting comes up. Now, for those of you who may not know what fasting is, I'm going to give you a, a real short Cliff Notes version of it. This is not explaining it completely, but it'll help you give you an idea if you're new to, to the concept. Fasting is uh, a spiritual discipline 
of abstaining from food, though not always food. I mean, you can fast from other things, but primarily it's food. The spiritual discipline of abstaining from food for two reasons. For an, as an act of devotion and as um, uh, an opportunity to seek the Lord more deeply in your life, like self-reflection. Okay? So the, and fasting was a very routine part of religion back in the day. A very routine part, especially of the Jewish religion back in the day. And what the disciples of John had noticed was that Jesus and his disciples didn't fast. And he's wondering, what's up, dude? What, why, how come everybody else is fasting and you guys aren't? And Jesus responds in um, what I imagine they thought was kind of an odd way. We know that it's not as odd as it probably seemed to them because of what we know. His response was simply, um, you do not mourn while the bridegroom is with you. There will come a time when the bridegroom is taken away from you. That's the time to mourn. Now we know that he was foretelling, he was prophesying about his, his death on the cross, right? They didn't know that. So that, they didn't probably expect that particular response to their question about fasting. But soon they, they would figure it out. What I find interesting is immediately after having responded to their question about fasting, he tells them this parable. This is where we start our passage. So Matthew chapter 9, starting verse 16, if you're wondering. Um, I'm going to paraphrase, but you'll see it up on the screen and in your Bibles. Let me, uh, let me just give it to you in Craig's translation, okay? Jesus responds after sharing this, his response to fasting by saying this. He said, no one takes a piece of unshrunk cloth and uses it as a patch um, on an old garment. Because if they were to do that, this, this patch of unshrunk cloth will eventually tear away and it will make the, the tear even worse. Much like that. Do not put uh, new wine into old wineskins. So, um, to put new wine into old wineskins, so new wine would be like grape juice, right? And you, leave, you put it into a, a, a skin, they, they were a leather skin, an old one. You don't do that because as it begins to ferment, the, the fermentation process would cause it to split at the seams. So he says, do not put new wine into old wineskins. Instead, put new wine into new wineskins. And then look what he says next. He says, in so doing, both shall be preserved. Let that sink in for just a second. In fact, while you're letting it sink in, let me share with you a thought that came to my mind this week as I was studying this passage that I'd never... This, this passage is very meaningful to me. It has in a variety, taken a variety of forms of meaning to me over the years to the point where I've chosen to commit it to memory because it's so meaningful to me. But this is a thought that I never had related to this passage. and Maybe you have, I don't know. But my thought was this this week. And you may think on the surface, by the way, that it doesn't relate, my thought doesn't relate to this passage, but I think it does. The thought was, I wonder why Christianity became a whole new religion. I mean, think about it for a second. If Jesus is Messiah, 
If he, that, if, and he is, by the way. You can believe it or not believe it, but he is. That makes him the fulfillment of the hope of the Jewish faith. That being the case, why didn't Christianity become a sect of Judaism? Or why didn't Judaism become Judaism 2.0? Well, Jesus actually answers that question in this parable. It's because people don't like change. It was, it was like Jesus was speaking into them saying, listen, who I am, I am the fulfillment of what you've been looking for your whole, but because you were so steeped in your traditions, in the way things have always been for you, you're not going to be able to receive this, so I've got to start a whole new thing. Which, that question should lead to another question in your mind, by the way. If it is true and it is, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the hope of the Jewish religion, then why is there still a, religious, a, a Jewish religion? Have you ever thought about that? Well, well, Jesus answered that in this parable too. Put new wine into new wineskins, and then what? Both shall be preserved, the old and the new. In other words, just because something is old doesn't mean it no longer has value and purpose. The Jewish religion still had value and purpose. How do I know that? Still has value and purpose. How do I know that? Jump ahead in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. If you do that, you will see in Romans chapter 12 that God has maintained the Jewish religion. The, a remnant of the Jewish faith because He still has a purpose for them. So what we have learned here today is guess what? Change, some change is inevitable. You can resist it all you want, but resist all you want and things are still going to change. So, if things are going to change, maybe we should figure out what is the best and most efficient way to embrace that change that is inevitable so that it is actually helpful rather than destructive. But change doesn't necessarily mean that the things you're changing, the old thing is, doesn't still have value. Change. It's inevitable. But even the old things have value. I mentioned earlier to you that um, most human beings resist change for all they're worth. Not me. I love change. I, I literally love it. Drives my wife nuts, by the way, because I'm always wanting to do new things and uh, change cars. Or I Luckily, I haven't changed wives. That's good. <laughs> um, which is one of the reasons, because I love change so much, is one of the reasons why I've loved these last five years. Because, because no one in the last five years has said to me, We've never done it that way before, Pastor. <laughs> Have you ever heard anybody say that? Oh, geez. Drives me nuts. The reason why nobody's ever said that is because 
Everything's new in a new church, right? And that has been so refreshing to me. And I've loved every second of it. At the same time, I have been reminded and renewed in the truth that just because something is old or established or traditional doesn't mean that it doesn't have value and purpose. And you know what? There's been, there have been things that even though we could do anything we want because we're a new church, we have chose to do things, some things, the way they've always been done because they still have value and purpose. Um, take the Scriptures, for example. Do you, you know, the Bible is one of the oldest and most ancient texts on earth, right? But the truths contained in that Bible are eternal and they will never change. It's incumbent upon us as the church to find new and different ways to share those eternal truths with a new generation. But the truths never change. The moment those, we try to change those truths, the moment truth becomes relative, we're in big trouble. And that's happens in other places and, and it's happening in our culture right now. Don't do that. That is a change that you need to resist with every fiber of your being. Truth is not relative. There's something called absolute truth and it's found right there. Amen. Another example of something ancient, something old, is the sacrament of communion. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Himself established the sacrament of communion. And for all those 2,000 years ever since, the church has been celebrating it, right? Now, has it changed? Have we changed the way we have celebrated the sacrament of communion now and then? Sure we have. Depending on what tradition you come from, um, what church you're a part of, the ways in which we celebrate the sacrament of communion may be different, but the purpose and the meaning of the sacrament of, of communion never changes. It is eternal. So in the spirit of the eternal truth and change, I'm going to push you all out of your comfort zones today, okay? You see, even though we're only five years old, we have established traditions here about how we do things. And one of those things that we traditionally do is the way we traditionally receive communion, right? The way we traditionally do it around here, if you're new, is that uh, one of the, Billy or I will stand in front, we'll, we will share the words of institution. You'll have to say, well, what are the words of institution? That is the purpose and the meaning of the sacrament. We'll share the words of institution. And then traditionally, because we're all of five years old, right? We invite people to come forward by the center aisle and we will present the bread and the juice and we'll say, this is the body and the blood of Christ given for you. And then you're given the opportunity to receive the elements and go back to your seats, pray, whatever the Lord lays on your heart to do. Well, today, um, we're going to do it different. And the purpose for doing it different is to perhaps cause you to remember that this isn't just a religious tradition, but 
to cause you to remember what this religious tradition is all about. So what is it all about? Well, I'll tell you. 2,000 years ago, there was a party going on in Jerusalem. Remember that? You've heard the story before. It's kind of tradition. There were pilgrims from all over, Jewish pilgrims from all over that had come into Jerusalem to celebrate something called the Passover. It was a religious tradition that um, the Jews participated in to remember what God had done in the past, to recognize what God was doing today, and to look forward to what God was doing in the future. The, the Passover tradition embraced all of those things. And part of the Passover celebration that lasted all week long was a meal that was called the Seder meal. And the Seder meal consisted of a variety of different courses, and each course of the Seder meal celebrated what God had done in the past, what God was doing today, and what God would do in the future. And because Jesus was the rabbi, teacher for his disciples, he was the one hosting the Seder meal, remember? They all knew exactly, traditionally, how the Seder meal was supposed to roll. They could have done it themselves. They knew it by rote. So when Jesus broke from tradition, when He changed things, they all paid attention. He took the bread that was there as part of the Seder. He lifted it to God. He blessed it. Then He broke it. And then he turned to his friends and he said, now, take and eat, for this is my body. They didn't know it at the time. They, all they knew was that he was changing things and they weren't comfortable with it. But what he was doing was prophesying to them that his body would be broken and that each of them, because they trusted in him as Lord, were to become his body. They were to become his hands and his feet, his eyes, his ears, his voice in the world. They were to become the church. And every time they ate from the bread, they were supposed to remember that eternal truth. That you are the body of Christ. Remember. After the meal... Jesus took the cup, He lifted it to God, He blessed it, and then He broke from their tradition. He changed things again. He looked at them and He said, this is the cup of a new covenant. My blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. What? Right? Again, He was prophesying. They didn't know it, but He was. He was prophesying about the fact that, that he was going to be beaten and scourged. That they would put a crown of thorns on his head, push it down like... That they, would, they were going to drive nails into his feet and hands, right? You know that. They didn't know that, by the way, remember. He said, this is the cup of a new covenant. My blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. You see, what he was reminding them of was something that they hadn't even experienced yet. He was reminding them that when you start thinking, 
I can't do this. I know you have called me to be your hands and your feet in the world, but Lord, I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. I, I do not deserve to do this. He knew that you didn't deserve to do this. That's why he changed the, the meaning of the Seder. For you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. You have been made worthy by the blood of the Lamb. That is the eternal truth of the Gospel. One that will never change. No matter how different we may receive or celebrate the sacrament, that truth will never change. You have been made worthy by the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, celebrate and embrace your calling to be Jesus to the world. Somebody say amen. 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 So, how are we going to do this thing different? How are we going to change things today? See, I got a smile. I'm happy. <laughs> well, we're going to... I explained to you how we used to do it. Well, we probably are going to go back to that, the way we used to do it. Because there's value in it. There's meaning in it. But guess what? This new thing that we're going to do today, maybe new to some of you, maybe you've done this, received communion like this in other places. You'll notice that there's a communion station there in the center aisle. There's one right over here, one here at the altar, and one right over there. Um, after the words of institution, after which I've already done, you will be invited to come, after I explain all this stuff to you, you'll be invited to come as family, with friends, or maybe, maybe it's just you and Jesus. That's okay. Whatever you're most comfortable with. But what I want you to do in just a moment is that you're going to be invited to go find one of these communion stations and I want you to serve communion to each other. Again, if you're doing it with your family and friends, just take a piece of the bread and a cup and say, this is the body and the blood of Christ given for us. If, you're, if, you're just, if it's just you and Jesus, do the same thing. And then pray. Pray for each other. Pray for yourselves. You, you may discover that the this time that you spend together rocks your world in some pretty beautiful ways. Just if you'll embrace the change. If um, you need um, gluten-free uh, elements, uh, Meg is right here. She'll have gluten-free. And then you can get, come and get a, a, a cup of juice. If you cannot come forward because of some ailment or something, just get Pat right here. Raise your hand, Pat, so they see you. She will come and bring the communion elements to you and pray with you, I bet, knowing her. Uh, so hopefully we got you covered. Um, but at least for today, embrace the change, okay? And while embracing the change, embrace the eternal truths of this beautiful sacrament and remember. Friends, the altars are open.